All right. Uh, we're going to get right after it. If you want to take notes this morning, you can grab the, uh, the insert that's in your bulletin. Uh, as well as we, uh, we included this family activity sheet, and some of you probably think this is a little bit cheesy, but it's probably more for uh, families with younger children. But uh, we just realized that, uh, that for many of us, we don't even know how to really do anything fun as a family or function as a family, do anything that doesn't require uh, some sort of on switch. Uh, and so uh, we thought we'd, we'd uh, incorporate some, some ideas for you. Uh, we are in a, a series called Bless This Home. This is week two of a four-part series uh, entitled Bless This Home. And, and we're doing this series really based out of Matthew chapter 5, where uh, Jesus is talking about some things, and, and they're referred to as the Beatitudes. Uh, that word just simply comes from a Latin word, which means uh, blessedness. Uh, blessedness. In, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus shows us eight different characteristics of those people who are blessed. Uh, last week, we looked at blessed are those who, th- who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Uh, next week, we're going to take a look at blessed are those who are merciful. We're going to take a look at what it means to be a mercy-giving family. Uh, and then the following week, uh, we are going to uh, talk a lot about uh, those who are blessed uh, because they are persecuted for righteousness' sake, those who are being made fun of. Today, I want to apply one of the Beatitudes uh, to our families, to our homes, <clears throat> and uh, because honestly, I think most of us would say that uh, if, if we were looking from the outside, we would say that most families don't seem uh, very blessed, right? That uh, they they just, I don't know, they, they, they don't look like, uh, from the outside looking in, they don't look like they are, are blessed in their home. I, I want to kind of ease us into this because today's message, as I said last week, is really as applicable to me and my family as it is to you and yours. Um, but I wanted to ease us in. A, a couple weeks ago, I, I gave a message on uh, called Naked and Unashamed. And I just a funny little story. We had a family who, for whatever reason, this was the Sunday that they brought their little son into church. And uh, I probably said naked maybe 60 times uh, in the course of my message. And every time I said it, he was like, <laughs> <laughs> naked. And, uh, and then at the end of the, the service, he looked over to his dad and said, that guy should be fired. So, because I use the word naked. But in uh, a couple of weeks ago, I, I talked about uh, the fact that we had uh, our, uh, my wife had her phone stolen out of our car. And I was just, gonna, uh, just curious, how many of you have ever been robbed? Anybody ever been stolen? Just a raise of hands. Uh, yeah, I mean, quite a few people. It seems to be coming more and more common uh, up in this area. In fact, I talked with a family on Friday uh, who had a bunch of things stolen out of their car while their car was sitting in the driveway. And uh, so it just is, it's, nobody likes to have things stolen. And, uh, and there's almost this sense of, of um, a violation when, when that happens. We have uh, what's called the, the ring doorbell. I don't know if you guys are familiar with this, but it's like a, it's a doorbell, but it's a camera. And, and so we have this attachment that plugs in on the inside of our house so that when there's motion to our camera, a train whistle goes off in our house. And that's just the chime that we've picked. But so 
in the middle of the night, I'm a light sleeper. I, um, I, I, when I hear noises, I wake up pretty easily. And, uh, and I was dead asleep, and all of a sudden, the train whistle goes off. And I'm like, there's somebody trying to break into our house. There's somebody out in our car. What, you know, what's going on? So I hop out of bed, and I'm like the only Texan in Texas that doesn't have a gun under his bed. And I'm not what they exactly call intimidating. And, and so I, I did what every God-fearing man would do in that moment, and I grabbed a broom. And I think it's because it was like this subliminal thing. I remember in the movies, the, the grandma would like sweep the hooligans out of her house with a broom. And so I thought, if it works for her, I could do it. So I grabbed the, the, hand, the, the, the handle part of it, and I went out, and it was just the lightning. The, the lightning caused the motion to go off. And, and so it was really nothing, right? But there was, there's something in us, especially like in, as, as, a, as the husband, as the father, where there's something in us that wants to protect our family, to protect them from harm. And, and, and moms and wives, you guys have this in you too. Like if there's, a, if there's a bear coming after your child, my money is on the mom in that situation because there's just something that wells up inside of you and you're going to take that bear down. And so it's this interesting dynamic where in our culture today, we are applauded for protecting our kids physically, right? I mean, moms put helmets and knee pads and and they, they get them all bundled up so that nothing could touch their skin and then they're like, okay, you can go get the mail now. Right? I mean, it's, it doesn't matter what they're doing. We just are so physically protected of our children. But yet in our culture, when we try to protect their heart, when we try to protect their, the, their morals, we're often considered overprotective parents. See, we're applauded for protecting them physically, but people make fun of us when we, when we try to protect their, them morally. What we're going to find is God actually calls us to protect not only the, the physical aspects of our children, uh, but also he calls us to protect the purity of their hearts. Just as I was robbed physically, like somebody came into our car and took our phone, I believe that we have a spiritual enemy who's coming to steal, kill, and destroy and to come into our families and rob them of their purity, to break in and kill and steal and destroy their innocence and their trust. And Jesus gave us a very specific beatitude in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. And it's our key verse for today. It says, blessed are the pure in heart. For when you are pure in heart, he says, they will see God. So blessed are the pure in heart, for they will what? They will see God. Now the word heart in the Greek there is the word cardio. It's where we uh, get the word cardiac, right? And, and he's using this as a metaphor. He's, he's recognizing, he's not really saying, hey, blessed are those who have this pure heart uh, or blood pumping organ inside of them. He's saying, no, he's addressing the emotions. He's addressing feelings, the inner self. He's using it as a metaphor for that. And so I just would say very clearly that this message is actually, uh, the, the, that his message of blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God is, is much broader than what we're going to talk about today. Uh, blessed are the pure in heart. He's 
addressing attitudes. He's addressing motives and, and how we treat other people and thoughts towards other people. He was talking about a lot more than what I'm going to talk about today. And so for our purposes, I want to, I want to narrow the scope down. And I want to talk about the morality and the purity and apply it to our homes. So blessed are the what? The pure in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart. What will happen if you're pure in heart? You'll see God. Now in our world today, it's very common to believe that of ourselves, to believe that of ourselves, to believe that of other people. We say things like they've got a good heart, right? Oh, that's a, he's a good kid. He's got a good heart. Oh, she's so nice. We even say things like, Bless their heart, right? When we say something bad about them out of the next sentence, before that, we say bless their heart. But we also, we also say things like, wow, that, they're so nice. They've got such a good heart, right? Young, single girl dating a guy. Oh, he's not a Christian, but he's got a good heart. No, he, he's unemployed. He lives in a van down by the river. He smokes weed for dinner. But he's got a good heart. The reality is, is that this has become this common saying, it's, and yet it's simply not true of any of us. And I'll show it to you in Scripture. Here, here's the thought, if you're taking notes, that we have to understand that without Christ... Without Christ, there is no such thing as a pure heart. Without Christ doing heart surgery on us, there is no such thing in any of us as a pure or good heart. In fact, Jeremiah 17, verse 9 and 10 says this. The heart is what? It's deceitful above all things and beyond cure. It is deceitful. It lies to us. Your heart deceives you. Who can understand it? God says, I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind. The heart is deceitful above all things. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 18 and 19, Apostle, the Apostle Paul is talking here, and he said something really profound to the believers in Ephesus. Right? He says this to the, those who are the Gentiles, these, these people who had drifted from their faith. Here's what he says. They're darkened in their understanding, and they're separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Due to the, to the what? To the hardening of their hearts. They are darkened in their understanding. They're separated from the life that God wants them to have because of their ignorance. They don't even realize it because their hearts have grown hard and to the things that matter most. They're darkened in their understanding. Let me give you an example of this. How many of you have, uh, how many of you show up late to the movie theater? Right, just show of hands so that I don't feel like the only, I mean, now that you can, there's only like five of us. You guys all, sh so you won't show up at church on time, <laughs> but you'll show up to the movies on time. I'm just saying, if you feel convicted, that's the Holy Spirit, not your pastor. So, 
If you've ever, I mean, now we can pre-reserve our seats, and so you, you don't have to get there, you know, too early to get a good seat or anything. But if you've ever showed up to the movie theater and you've been a little bit late, the, the lights are dark, and you walk into the theater, it's like you're hit with darkness, right? You can't see, you're fumbling around, you're trying to not spill your popcorn and the candy that you smuggled in illegally, and 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 you just and then and then you wait for a few minutes, and all of a sudden, you you adjust, your eyes adjust, and they adapt, and now, now you can see. Your eyes adjust to the darkness. Uh, I was, I used this illustration in first service, and I was, um, somebody was, pulled me aside and said, you don't realize how good that illustration is, because here's the thing, is when your eyes adjust to the darkness, like if you're out in the woods, and, and your eyes adjust to the darkness, you think that you can see pretty clearly, but science tells us that you actually, even if you're 2020 in the daytime, you're actually 2200, which is legally blind, even though you can see in the darkness. See, what happens is, is our eyes begin to adjust to the darkness. And I, I, I just wonder, could it be that in our homes, that, that our families that we love so much, could it be that we are separated from the life of God because we've darkened in our understanding? Because of our ignorance and our, and our hearts have become hardened and, and we don't even recognize that we're, we're missing seeing the goodness of God. We're missing out on the blessing of God in our life because we've allowed impurity into our families and we don't even know it because we've adjusted to the darkness. He goes on to say in verse 19, having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity. There are very few verses in scripture that might better describe our culture than those. Right? Having lost all sensitivity, our culture giving itself over to all sorts of sensuality and indulging in every kind of impurity. Now, in our lives, in our, in our families, we, we love them. We want to protect them. We'll, we'll, we'll bundle our kids up to protect them physically. We want to guard our marriages. We, we want to protect the next generation. And so honestly, we would never, we would never do anything like, like take some, some rat poison and put it in a bottle and then feed it to a baby. Here, little baby. Take some poison. We, we, would, we would never, we would never let our children swim in a pool of acid. We would never let that happen. We would never do it, and yet we'll send our 15-year-old daughters on some car date with some hairy leg, prepubescent-filled boy that we've never met, and yet it happens all the time. We'll give our, our 14-year-old children, our son, we'll give them one of these that have access to everything and anything that they want to look at. And we'll take our hard-earned money and we'll pay to be entertained by things that must, that must break the heart of God. And we'll do all of those things thinking that it's absolutely normal 
in our world today? Could it be that one of the reasons our homes are not blessed is because our hearts have been hardened and we've been darkened in our understanding, not without even knowing it, we've lost all sensitivity and we're now indulging in every kind of evil. What's going to be different in our lives? If you missed last week, we, we had this key thought, right? This idea that I want to revisit, and, and we're going to revisit the next couple of weeks, that you might remember it, it's this mind shift that takes place, that instead of saying that we are a, a, a Christian family, it's a shifting of the mind to bring us to a place to where we say we are a Christ-centered home. And if you weren't here last week, you're probably thinking, well, what's the difference between that? And, uh, and I would just say this, is that it's easy to say that you're a Christian family. It's easy to say that you're a Christian. 80%, 80-some percent of our country would say, oh, yeah, I'm Christian. Yeah, we're, we're a Christian family. And yet there's nothing that would represent a Christ-centered home. You say, yeah, I'm a, I'm a Christian person. I, I believe in God. But there's a big difference between saying that and saying Jesus is first in every way. He's not just a part of my life. He he is my life. And if we want the blessings of God, then we need to learn to live according to his word. And that's exactly what the psalmist asks us in Psalm 119, verse 9 and 10. He asks, how can a young person stay on the path of purity? Man, if, if you have kids or if you are a young person, that's a great question to ask. First service, we had two young people in our church. It's because the rest of them were sleeping in and, and getting ready for second service. But two, two young people. So if you're a young person and you're in service, this is an amazing question. You might want to pay attention to this. If you have children, you might want to pay attention to this. How in the world, with all of the temptations in this world, can we stay on a path of purity? Here's what culture would tell you. Here's what culture would say about everything. Hey, just follow your heart. Like, like whatever it is, just just follow your heart, and you're going to be okay. You've got a good heart. Follow your heart. That's the stupidest advice that you could ever give to somebody. Because we just read, your heart is deceitful. <laughs> Don't follow your heart. It's going to deceive you. Right? And I, I've seen married couples in, in counseling who followed their heart right out of marriage into adultery. They followed their, they followed their, their heart because they, their heart says it's going to be worth it. They followed their heart. Oh, she's paying attention to me. She's nice to me. See, don't follow your heart. So how can, how can a young person keep their way pure? Here's how the psalmist says it. God, by living according to what? By living according to your word. Here's what I'm going to do. I will seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray away from your commands. I've taken that verse and kind of translated it towards the family, just for this purpose right here. Here's how it it's worded, how can our family stay on the path of purity? Here's the answer. Not by following our hearts, but by living according to your word. 
We will seek you with what? We will seek you with all of our hearts. God, do not let us stray from your commands. Now, for those of you who aren't married or those of you who uh, might now be grandparents uh, or you, your children are out of the home, you're kind of you know, putting your feet up on the back of the chair saying, go after them, Ryan. Get them. Those are evil people, right? They, yeah, I wouldn't, we don't have to worry about this. Right? It doesn't matter because I don't have a, a family yet. I can do whatever I want. And then later on, I'll get my act together and, and then I can watch what I want. Or, or, but until then, I can watch what I want, say what I want, do what I want. And I would just make an argument here for us, uh, for those who are grandparents, that you have just this beautiful opportunity to partner with your kids as they raise their grandchildren, as, you, as they raise your grandchildren to model for our children what it is to live, to be pure in art. That if, if you don't have a family yet, maybe you're a young, single person, I would just say to you, don't build, you don't build a life of righteousness on a foundation of sin. If you want a harvest of righteousness, if, if you want your, your life, your family to be pure in heart in the future, then start right now. Plant seeds of righteousness in the ground today. So how can a young person stay pure? By living according to your word. So let's do this. Let's just acknowledge the fact. I know it's a little heavy this morning, but let's just acknowledge the fact that perhaps in our homes, and I'll include mine in this, perhaps in our homes, our eyes have grown accustomed to the darkness, that we've adjusted our, our, our sight. And even though we think that we can see clearly our blind spots, the truth is, is we are actually legally blind. Well, let's just assume for this few, next few moments that our hearts have been hardened. And we don't even see the ways in which we've let impurity become a part of our family or a part of our homes. How can we go against the flow? not just as a Christian home, but as a, a Christ-centered home. Like truly wanting to raise a generation that puts Christ first and foremost in every single way. How can we practically create a culture of purity in our homes? I can give you lots of different thoughts. I've got many of them. I've got lots of different ideas. And if you don't like the first three ideas, I'll give you three more ideas because I've always got ideas. But I've narrowed it down to three. I want to give you three today. The first thing that we have to understand is it's, it's not going to happen by accident, right? It's not, it's not like you're going to just get married, have kids, wake up 20 years later and be like, oh my goodness, my kids are holy. <laughs> they, they love God and they're, they're pure. This, this is, what a happy accident this is. No, no, it's not going to happen by accident. There, we have to be intentional in it. So could we be intentional? Could we just for the sake of assuming that maybe many of our lives we've become accustomed to the darkness and, and could we just say from this moment on I'm going to be intentional? Three thoughts. The first thing is let's start with ourselves. We don't like this one. We want our kids to get their act together. But really, the first thing is we got to start with us. Let's start with ourselves. Let's get, get our own heart right. I don't, I don't care if you're 18 
or, or you're 88, I believe that we set the tone in our relationships. We set the tone. And, and no matter where you are in life, you lead either towards destruction or you lead towards purity. Solomon said this in Proverbs 4.23. He said, here's my best advice. So, you know, he's Proverbs, right? It's the wisdom book. He gives us all kinds of wisdom, all kinds of advice. But he says, but this, this is my best advice, and maybe we ought to take note of it. Above everything else, he says, guard your heart, for everything that you do flows from it. Everything. Guard your heart. So when we're looking at how do we behave, what do we allow into our lives, into our families, what are we influenced by, what do we want to read, what do we want to watch, what, do we, what kind of entertainment do we want to allow into our homes, what kind of things are we going to, to, to feed into our eyes, like what are we going to see, what do we want to look at, right? what, what kinds of thoughts do we want to have? How do we decide what's right and what's not right? The Proverbs would tell us to guard our hearts. Here's the thing. This is a little bit of real talk this morning because this is something that I recognize in my own life. I think the reason we struggle to lead our homes towards purity is because we feel guilty, right? We... We know what we've done. We know what we did when we were our kids' age. And don't pretend like you didn't do anything, right? Like, like we, we know. We know what we did, and so we kind of almost get to a place to where we expect that to just be a part of the process. We're, we know what we're currently doing, and so we feel really guilty saying, do as I say, not as I do because that means we're a hypocrite. And nobody wants to be a hypocrite. The hypocrite, like, like we could talk about pride, we could talk about fear, we could talk about all these things, but when you call somebody a hypocrite, it's like, whoa, those are fighting words. We don't want to be hypocritical with our children, and so we just, it's better for them to just not lead, to, or it's better for us to not lead towards purity and lead our children in this way, because it might expose ourselves. It might bring us to a place to where we actually have to communicate to our kids the mistakes that we've made. See, our kids are smarter than we think that they are. They know that we've made mistakes. Interestingly, this is not in my notes, and I always get in trouble when it's not in my notes, but interestingly, I think generationally we are seeing more and more honesty with our children to a point that my parents never talked to me about some of the stuff that I talked to my kids about, and their parents never even talked to them, right? <laughs> it just is, the, and, and now, at least from that standpoint, we're getting healthier to some extent, but there's still something in us that we are afraid if our kids only knew, if, we, if our kids only knew that, that they were conceived out of wedlock, if our kids only knew what we were involved with in school, uh, if our kids only knew, and I think that paralyzes us from actually leading into pure hearts. So how do we get our hearts right? A lot of people would say, well, let your conscience be, conscience, conscience be your guide. 
The problem is, is that scripture teaches that consciences can be severed. In other words, we can't trust everything that our conscience provides for us. Because like, like our hearts, it, it, will, it will deceive our, us. It, it will deceive so easily. I'll give you an example. In my life, my wife Kelly would say to me, Ryan, I, th- I think that you know, some of the things that we've been watching probably we shouldn't be, aren't appropriate. Right? And my first response is, whoa, 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 Holy Spirit. Like, you know, seems like you're a little legalistic to me. Right? It's just a little swearing. Right? It's, it's, it's just a little, I mean, what could be wrong with, it's just a little killing. What's wrong with murder? Right? And, and, and so, you know, and, and my wife, like perfect Kelly, she, she's right there, not really, but uh, she, she was first service. And so we, we begin to justify these things and we, we will watch things that, that if you were really to, to kind of boil it down, you'd be like, oh, yeah, that's probably not good. And here's, here's the test. When you're a pastor of a church, I don't know if any of you are, but uh, when you go to the movies with somebody from your congregation and you're their pastor, and you're sitting in the movie and the movie starts and there's all kinds of inappropriateness. You have a choice. Do you make a statement? Do you get up? Do you leave? You're like, yeah, I bought the tickets. I got a full thing of popcorn. You know, it's like, what do you do? What do you do in those moments? That's where the rubber meets the road when she's saying, yeah, I just think that, that that's not appropriate. But it's funny, right? We say things like that. We're like, yeah, but it's funny. If I told you a, if I told you a sexist or a racist joke, but it was funny, would it be okay? I hope you know that the answer is no. <laughs> because I get fired over things like that. So just for the record, it doesn't matter if it's funny, it's wrong. Funny never makes something right. To quote my mom and to admit that my mom was right, she raised me with the psalm or with the Proverbs. Every morning I would come in for breakfast and she would read me Proverbs, the wisdom book. She's reading them, reading them. You need them too. And and she would read them, hoping that it would sink in. This isn't a proverb, what I'm about to tell you, but you've probably heard it before. Because here's our, here's our natural tendency. We use things to justify. Like, like if I don't watch Game of Thrones, I'm going to have nothing to talk about at work. I'll have nothing to talk about at the, at the water cooler. Right? It, we begin to justify this. It's like everybody in the world has seen this. And to quote my mom, she would say, if all your friends jump off a bridge to their death, should you? That's what my mom, that's my mom standing here telling you that same thing. It, just because your friends are watching it doesn't mean you have to watch it. Just because your friends are doing it doesn't mean you have to do it. And in two weeks, we're going to talk about what it means to get made fun of because you're not doing it. 
I guarantee you that just like me, all of us have been deceived in one way or another. If there's conversations that I have that are impure, God, please convict me. If I'm thinking of things that are impure, Lord, show me those areas. If I've got relationships or friendships that are bringing me down instead of up, God, show me those areas. If I'm being entertained by things that are wrong to you, God, please show me. Help me get my heart right first. It has to start with us. The second thing, if you're still taking notes, is this. And this is so important, especially for those of you who are parents, continuing to be parents. When you're working with your children, when you're working with your kids, we must parent to the heart. See, most of us, we, we parent to actions, In other words, all we want is behavior modification. We want them to behave. We want them to act appropriately. But we forget to focus on the heart. And all throughout Scripture, what we find is that even when Samuel was anointing a king, he looked at David in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, and he says, the Lord doesn't look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but where does God focus? The Lord looks at the heart. See, God looks at your heart. He looks at your children's heart. In fact, Jesus was fanatic about the heart. In the Old Testament, Scripture taught, don't murder. Okay, no problem. But then Jesus takes it a step further and says, yeah, don't even hate. Because if you've hated, you've committed murder in your heart. In the Old Testament, it says, don't commit adultery. Okay, fine. Jesus takes it a step further and says, If you look lustfully at a woman, you've already committed adultery in your heart. He hammers the Pharisees who had the outward behavior of right. I mean, you got to tip your hat to these guys. These guys are pretty holy people. They they behaved well. They had done all of the right things. And Jesus says to them, the problem is the outside of your cup is clean. But inside, inside the heart is filthy. So when we're working with our kids, we don't want to just settle for outward submission while there's inward rebellion. Uh, If you have kids, you you know what I'm talking about. I'll just give you an example of this. We've got three kids. Uh, This may or may not have happened in our home. But if, if one of your kids goes up to the other child and just slams them, just hits them hard, right? And obviously we're assuming it's two boys, right? Because girls would never hit, but they just hit and then run off, right? And the kid comes, he's crying. He comes back to you. He's like, Johnny hit me and, and all this stuff. And what do you do? You, you, say to, you say to the Johnny, you say, Johnny, go apologize to your brother. I'm sorry that you're so dumb that I had to hit you. I'm sorry that you're so weak that you got hurt when I hit you, right? There's this attitude that's still in the heart. He did what you asked him to do. He went and apologized to his brother, but there was something of rebellion still in the heart. When all we're doing is is modifying behavior, we're never dealing with the heart, 
We never stop loving our kids toward a right heart. Not just actions, but heart. Well, you can't go to the party. Fine, slam the door. I hate you, Mom. Is that okay? No, it's not acceptable. Did they not go to the party? Yeah, they didn't go to the party, but is there something of heart that's a problem? So we try to work for the why behind the what. Here's the why, and let's continue to talk about this. Let's continue to cultivate a relationship and and understand the why and work at this and, and then really begin to parent towards our children's hearts. Because the heart really, really matters. Listen, if you want right actions from your kids, it comes out of a right heart. Why do you think that when kids turn 18, they leave home, they go off onto a college campus, and they lose their ever-living mind? Right? Because these children of yours, of ours, who we thought had a good heart, Oh, they have a good heart. They're so nice. They've they've modified their behavior for you, their parents, because if they don't, they get things taken from them or they get grounded or they don't get to do the things that they want to do. And so then what happens is is once they experience freedom, I don't have, you don't have to be a rocket scientist. You can see the craziness that takes place on college campuses around America. Like you see signs at fraternities just about your daughters. Just craziness. And without a bright heart, without a pure heart, our kids go off into that and do whatever they want to do. We're working toward purity of the heart. Now, if I haven't offended you or made you uncomfortable yet, or raise the standard yet, the third point is probably for you. Here we go. Number three. First is we get our hearts right. Second is we, we parent to the heart. And number three, which is most important in our homes, as we want to be Christ-centered homes, we're going, and, and hear me when I say this, we're going to pursue perfect purity. We're going we're gonna to pursue perfect purity of the heart. And the reason I choose pursue is because we can't do it on our own. It's impossible. But with the help of the power of God, we're going to pursue perfect purity. Why perfect purity? Because anything less than perfect purity is not purity, right? Well, isn't that raising the standard just a little too high, Ryan? Listen, anything less than that is not purity. We're going to pursue perfect purity of the heart in our homes. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3, Paul says it this way. He says, but among you, there must not even be a hint. There must not even be a hint of sexual immorality. Not even just a, a little teeny, eensy, beensy, weensy hint of sexual immorality. So pop quiz, let me just ask you some questions. Would committing adultery with four people be a hint of sexual immorality? Hello? (laughs) Yes? The answer is yes. Okay, first service immediately said yes. 
So I don't you guys are a little crazier, maybe, but the answer is yes. Would, would sleeping with 75% of the people you date before you're married, would that be a hint of sexual immorality, yes or no? Oh, thank you. You were in first service, so you, I already gave you a hard time. Would just looking lustfully at images on a screen, breaking your wife's heart, would that be considered a hint of sexual immorality? According to Jesus, it would be. And he says, not even a hint. We're pursuing perfect purity in our homes. He goes on to say this, not even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity. Nothing, no grade, no whatever. Because these are improper for God's holy people. I like the story I use. It's been quite a while since I've used it, and some of you hoped I would never use it again. But it's the story of a a boy who wants to go see uh, a movie. He's 12 years, 12 years old. He wants to go see a movie that's PG-13, and, he, and his mom says, no, you can't see it. And he says, there's just, a, there's just a few little bad things here and there. It's not, not, not any big deal, right? And so the mom says, okay, fine, you, you can go see the movie. But first, I'm going to make you brownies. And so she goes out into the yard, takes a spoon, just a teaspoon, and just scoops up a little bit of their dog poop, throws it into the, the mix of brownies, stirs it up, makes him some brownies, and says, here, I made you some brownies. He's all excited about it. And, and then she said, oh, but first, before you eat the brownies, you need to know that it's just got a little bit of poo in it. And he said, that's disgusting. I'm not going to eat that. And she said, oh, no, no, you don't understand. It's just a little bit of poo in the brownies. Like, just a little bit of bad stuff in your movie. See, we're going to pursue purity in everything. How are we raising our our children in regard to relationships? It seems like the punchline is if we can get them through high school without either them getting pregnant or getting somebody pregnant, we have won as parents. What if the goal of parenting is purity of the heart instead of behavior management? What if, our, what if our girls were to press in and decide that they, they don't want to give their heart away to eight different guys before they're married, much less their body? What if they had a higher goal than what culture has deemed normal? Now, I know what you might be thinking. Oh, I'll keep my daughters locked up. There ain't no boy going to get next to my girl. I've got a gun. Right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep them locked up in their room. I'll always know where my daughter is at all times. Right? See, when we were, when we were young, it, it, it was different. Right? If, I, if I were to go and sneak off, at least according to the movies, I never did this, but if I were to go and wanted to, to, to sneak into my girlfriend's bedroom and I would go over to her house, I'd, I'd pick up the little pebble and I'd throw it up at the window, right? And it'd and then she'd open up the window, just like in the movies, and be like, oh, there you are. And then I would climb up the lattice, and then I would go into her bedroom, and we'd talk, right? We'd just have conversation, talk all night, and then I would sneak back out. And, and, you, and it, I'm just curious, how many of you as fathers would, 
would allow some boy to climb up into your daughter's bedroom and hang out with her? How many of you? And yet, potentially, every single night, your daughter's friends or boyfriend come into your house, into her bedroom through this. They say God knows what. They send pictures of God knows what. They do God knows what. And my guess is you don't know either. See, we would never allow that to happen, but we allow this to happen all the stinking time. We live in a different world than we did when we were kids. We have to parent differently than our parents parented us. There are all kinds of apps, and this is the part where my kids hate to be pastor's kids because I'm the old guy up on stage informing all of their friends' parents about how bad these phones are, and every one of you are going to go home and take their kid's phone away, and I'll be to blame, but whatever, I'll take the blame. This is a list of apps that just are so ridiculous that you may or may not even know about. Listen, it probably came out yesterday, and it's already out of date. Honestly, I mean, just this stuff is happening. There's like a a calculator app that isn't really a calculator app. It's just a storage point for all kinds of photos. So your kid, you could be going through your kid's phones and there could be an app and, and it looks just like a calculator app, but really there's pornographic images all inside that app. There's Snapchat, which you can send pictures and the pictures just go away. And so then you just never know. If your kid has an Instagram account, you think, oh, it's so nice. They post pictures. Chances are your kids have a fake Instagram account. So, so there's all this nonsense that, listen, I'm not saying you have to take all of this stuff away right now, although I wouldn't blame you if you did. But what I am saying is that we can just behavior modify and take things away and don't do this and don't do this, or we can parent to the heart Because at some point down the road, they're going to have access to everything. And where will their hearts be? See, it's a different society today. And we can say, well, I'm going to hit low, right? And we'll just, let's shoot low. Let's not raise the standards so high. I'm just going to say, if you shoot low, you're going to hit low. Or you can shoot high and you're going to hit a lot higher than if you shoot low. What's our standard going to be? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. When you find purity by the power of God, not just moral purity, but when God starts to change your heart and you you all of a sudden stop desiring what you once desired and start desiring what matters to him. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will what? They will see God. Imagine if you were to see God answer prayers in your life. Imagine that if you could see God use your life or your family's life for the sake of other people. Imagine seeing the gifts of the Holy Spirit function through your life and see him working in all things to bring good to those who are around you. When you're pure in heart, you can see the power of God in a way 
that you'd never even imagined. Now, some of you are thinking to yourself, if, if I can get into your minds for a second, you're probably thinking, yeah, but you have no idea what I've done. I'm not sharing that with my kids. Right? I, I've messed up. I'm messing up right now. I'm so far off. Listen, I, I can relate to you to some level because I've messed up. I messed up when I was in high school. I get that. In Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26, God says, I'm not, I'm not going to just ask you to make your own heart better. Right? This isn't just about, like, hey, could I just white-knuckle this thing and just be more pure in heart? He says, I'm not going to make, I'm not going to ask you to make your own heart better, but he says, I will, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you, and I will remove from your heart of stone, from you, your heart of stone. Possibly some of our hearts that are here this morning have grown hardened. And if you're offended, if you're, if you're pushing back, if you're like, that sounds legalistic to me, could it be that maybe our hearts have grown hard? He says, I'll give you a new heart and remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Because there's a standard of righteousness that we can't achieve on our own. It takes the power and the goodness of our God through Jesus Christ. And when we seek him and and we know him, we're not just a Christian family that kind of believes in God. We're a Christ-centered home suddenly the standard rises and the power of God gives us a a new heart and and now we're different. And now all of a sudden we experience blessing in a way that we've never experienced because blessed are the pure in heart. God helps us to be pure in heart so we can see him like never before. I want us to do something. I'm going to invite the ushers to come. We're going to, get the, we're going to get the offering in the card. We're going to get that out of the way. And then I want to give us some instructions on how we're going to close, close our service today. I'm going to pray for our offering. Ushers, go ahead and, and make your way here. Father, we, we receive our tithes and offerings this morning really as, a, as a, an act of worship. I pray this every week. But it's a sacrifice of our praise. It would be easy for us in action and things to assume that it's part of the ritualistic part of being a Christ follower. But this isn't about rote religion. This isn't about acts of service. This is really just about stepping out and an acknowledgement. This is a hard issue where we recognize that you have all of us. Not everything but our finances, but that you have all of us including our finances. And so, God, as we give this morning, as we give of our tithes and offerings, we give not out of compulsion or guilt or shame, not not to get something from you, but to just say, God, we recognize and we surrender all of us to all of you. In Jesus' name, amen. Ushers, go ahead. You can drop your card in there if you filled that out. And just as the baskets are going by, I just, I I wanna... um, I want to bring some, some instruction because here's the thing is last week we got done with the message and on the card 
We, we saw all kinds of feedback. I got emails from people just feeling as though they have failed as parents, right? Feeling like if they knew then what they know now, maybe things would have been different, but now it's, it's, just, it's just hard, right? And, and even now, some of you are thinking, all of that's really great, Ryan, but there ain't no way that's happening in my house. And I would just encourage you, it absolutely can happen in your house. It can start today. It doesn't matter what your past is. Your past is broken. We can agree to that. But the brokenness has been overcome by God. That he comes in and he gives us the power and the strength to be able to walk this out. So if, if you are feeling condemned, I would say that is the enemy of your soul. If you are feeling convicted, I had, I had a, a couple teenagers come up to me. They're only teenagers actually in the room come up to me and, uh, and say, I'm feeling guilty about this. And, you know, and, and one said, I'm getting rid of this app and, and some of these things. Listen, the Holy Spirit convicts, not me. But if you're feeling convicted, allow that conviction to move us to something different. Because it'd be easy to walk out and say, yeah, I know I should be different, but I'm, I'm just gonna live my life the way I've been living it. Allow conviction to change you. Don't let the enemy of your soul condemn you. And that's a very distinct difference. I'm not telling you how to parent your kids with their phones and their apps and all that stuff. I'm just saying, could we parent to the heart? Could we love our kids? And if you are feeling like a failure, can I remind you that God's mercy covers all of that? That his mercy, him not giving us what we deserve, right? Because if we look at our past, we look at the way we've lived our life, it would be easy for us to say, man, I deserve the worst if you only knew what I've been a part of. Can I just encourage you that God's mercy is on you. I've asked the worship team to sing a song. Kelly's going to sing a song. And, and the first part of it just kind of sets up the second part. And there'll be a part in the song where it's kind of this instrumental. And Kelly's going to invite us to raise our hands. And can I just cut through the, the weirdness of people feeling, I don't know, if I don't raise my hands and worry, I don't do that. You know, the song literally says, I raise my hands up and receive your mercy. I believe that there are many of us here this morning who need to receive the mercy of God today. That, that, that you've just been running and running, and the song says, I'm running and I'm running and I'm running. That, that my past is brokenness, but, but you've overcome it, and today I don't have to live that way. Today I can receive your mercy and live this life victoriously. Can we stand can we, can we allow, I believe this song is a prophetic song over you. Could we, could we receive it this morning?
that we're about to sing over you. As we sing them, listen to them and hear God's heart for each and every one of us. See? 
Jose, uh, see if you can find the, the lyric that says, uh, I know my past is broken. There's a line right after that uh, where it says, you can move on, it's over now. Here in the presence of the Lord. That, it, it, as soon as we were singing that line, getting emotional, that I believe that, that there are people here, I know, actually, no, I know that there are people here who, who have held on to their past, they haven't led their families, they haven't been leading their families in pure of heart because their spouse hasn't let go of the past. That there are some who, who have held on to the past and won't lead their families because they, they know what their past was, so they don't feel valued to be able to do that. Can I just speak those words? You can move on right now. It's over. I'm not saying that, that all of a sudden the pain will be gone or any of those things. I'm, what I am saying is that for somebody here, you need to let the past go. Let it go and move on. And begin today living your life pure in heart. Your past doesn't define you. Your past doesn't control you. Your past doesn't keep you from parenting your children. Move on. It's over now. Can we, I don't know if it's possible, can we sing that part of it again? And for whoever that is, would you just, right there where you're seated, receive his mercy and say, it's done. And there may be conversations that have to be had afterwards in reminding our spouse, it's over, it's done. I will no longer make you hug the cactus. It's done. We have people available for prayer on the sides of the room. If you need prayer, go get prayer. We're gonna close this out and then Jeremy will dismiss us. this morning, Father, that 
you have won the victory for every one of us, God. And we walk in that victory and that freedom this week, Lord. And you defeated everything that is in our past that we're trying to hold on to, God, or that the enemy is lying to us about. We just declare it this, this morning, Father, that it's in our past and it is broken, Father. Thank you, God. Amen. Well, God bless you all as you go. Have a fantastic week.